Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Car sent you. You maybe owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727 541 1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years' experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727 541 1741. You maybe owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. The 1959 National Championship Drag Races, the scene, the Detroit Dragway, Detroit, Michigan. We have competition coming from as far south as the Panama Canal Zone and as far north as the Canadian area from the east coast to the west coast. Two cars in the sea gas class. Jamie Parker on the tower side. It looked like everybody in Detroit was in the stands. Bill Parker in his A-gas coupe against Bill Waddell. Two four-bangers with Ray Huckabee of Houston, Texas on the spectator side taking an early lead. A Thunderbird and a Corvette in the sports car class. Two Chevy sedans vying for class honors. The original hot rods, two street roadsters. An Austin against a Fiat in the altered coupe class. The Cotton Figgins Special from Arizona taking the lead in the modified roadster class. In the competition coupe class, Nike and Veselka's last year's class winner blows up and loses to Robert Andrews of Ohio. Bernie Partridge in Miss Fortune from California gets a good start in the modified roadster class. Jack Moss's twin Chevy taking a good lead over Arfon's green monster. Tetz Ishimaru taking an early lead in his A-dragster. And the very beautiful Misfire III, a blown Chrysler dragster from California on the spectator side. Two blown A dragsters getting off to a good start. Two Texans, Jack Moss in his twin Chevy being taken by Rod Singer on the tower side. Hi, this is Dan Woods, the host of Chop, Cut, Rebuild on the Speed Channel, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Set the way back machine. Yes, sir, Mr. Peabody. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Freedom Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google, Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, go to our archive page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, where you can listen to all 383 shows. Good night. Good evening. Uh, Tommy, how you doing? Hey, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Cover everything for you. <laughs> 
Yeah. So ready to uh, rock and roll. Yeah. Right. 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 So uh, yeah, it's been uh, been a pretty interesting week here. Last weekend. Last weekend was a lot of fun because last weekend there was a number of events going on. Primarily one of my favorite events, and I'm always there on the scene to uh, do my media stuff, and that is the HSR Historic Sports Car Racing Vintage Racing Events. And this past weekend we had. Uh, what they call the 12-hour classic down at Sebring. So that was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday event. And uh, congratulations to my real good friend Don, who won three awards this year. I don't remember what they all were, but I know he won two BRM watches worth about $8,000 a piece, plus a really nice piece of crystal. So he is extremely proud of himself, and I'm proud of him too because we go way back to high school. He's your It's your classic Ford versus Chevrolet friendship. He's always been one of those Brand X bow tie boat anchor guys and i've always been the mighty ford guy so you know and i'm sure if don's listening tonight it'll go what 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 but at any rate so uh yeah but of course he's driving a porsche now he's got himself a really nice uh 19 or 2007 porsche and he did very very well with that car extremely competitive and here's why i'm most impressed because don beat out guys not by a little bit by a margin and parings but he wrenches on the car himself He's extremely talented, he's extremely smart, he's extremely methodical, and he's almost Penske perfect. So if there ever had to be a team manager, that would be the perfect job for him. And now that he's semi-retired, and again, congratulations to him on that, uh, that would be an ideal job for him. Because uh, if you were listening last week, we had Kaz Kastner on. He was in charge of uh, NPTI, which was a Nissan Motorsports program uh, for Nissan of North America ran a very successful campaign in the late eighties and early nineties with their nice nine, uh, with their nine, I'm thinking nine sixty two. They beat the Porsche nine sixty two with their Nissan GTP, uh, 300 ZXT, uh, GP, GTP car and, um, milestone car. Then of course in 91, 1991, they continued on with that. But, uh, Dan Gurney, who's another amazing guy, uh, he came out there with the Toyota, and he pretty much whomped them. And then, of course, the costs. This is what happens. There's rule changes because they try to level the playing field. Of course, the powers to be think they're leveling the playing field. And then what happens, it just gets cost prohibitive, and then a lot of sponsors don't see the ROI, the return on investment. So what they typically do is say, we're not sponsoring this anymore, so if, without a sponsor, you can't have a race team. So that's kind of how that works. But the national or the manufacturer's championships went to Nissan, I think, in 88, 89. And then uh, Toyota got it in uh, nine, uh, two, 91, 92, somewhere around in there. And, uh, but, hey, Porsche dominated for years and years and years. In fact, if you go down to Sebring, you look on the wall over there, it's like Porsche, 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 Nissan, Porsche, Toyota, Porsche, Porsche, you know, pretty much. Oh, yeah, and then in the 60s, it goes back to Ford, Ford, Ford. I think Chevrolet won once, but... At any rate, all right, hey, let me go into the uh, Florida Car Shows Minute, okay, or segment here. And there's a number of car shows that are going to be taking place here, um, actually, in the next couple of weeks. Now, one of them I'm going to talk about, by the way, Florida Car Shows, if you want to find out where all the car shows are, Google FloridaCarShows.com, and you can find out where, all the, floor car, where uh, all the car shows are in the state of Florida. So uh, coming up here in a couple of weeks, and uh, this is, goes out to a friend of mine, and he works for AAA, and AAA is kind of sponsoring this thing. It's called the AAA Auto Expo, celebrating the automobile, and it's the Strawberry Classic Cruise-In in Plant City, December 16th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. Oh, that's kind of cool, 3 p.m., 8 p.m. in the evening. That's unusual. Uh, Union Station in Plant City. So that's the Strawberry Classic Cruise-In, December 16th from 3 to 8 p.m. All cars welcome. So if you want to find out more about it, Google Strawberry Classic Cruising. Also, let's see what's going on this weekend. Oh, yeah. For those of you guys, like myself, they're into British sports cars. The Tampa Bay British Sports Car Club will be having their, um, let's just call it the biannual picnic at Philippi Park. So if you've got a British car, you're welcome to come by and hang out with us. We'll be somewhere deep in the, uh, in the uh, woods there at Philippi Park. We do this twice a year. The winter show is really good. The summer show, that one kills you sometimes because we get caught in the rain. It is miserable. Hot, humid. Oh, man. One year, Bobby and I were there. We had, were driving Miss Money Penny, our little MGB GT, and it was we we couldn't keep the windows. It was so much humidity and so much dampness, the windows just fogged up like unbelievable. We had to hang our head out the window just to drive down the road. And uh, so that was uh, – and then when we got there, it was hot. It just rained. Steam was just coming off, and we didn't have enough fans, and it was hot and muggy. And it was probably the worst experience I've had in Florida in a long time with uh, humidity. 
So, at any rate, I think uh, we've got something on the transistor radio there we want to play. We're going to, well, actually, this is a little bit newer than transistor radio, this song. This was uh, Tito and the the Tarantula, and I think it's, what's the name of the song? When You Cry or something like that. But that's kind of a cool little song. So, hey, you're tuned into Nostalgia Getting Cars on Touch the Dial. We'll be right back. And, yes, we have a special guest for you this evening, as usual. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than flacarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, flacarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com. Okay, we're back. You tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and boy, I love that sound. That's, uh, you know, nothing beats a good old American V8. Now, this past weekend, we had the vintage races down there at um, Sebring, and uh, so I was walking around. I shot some videos down there, and I posted them on Facebook and on Twitter. So please visit our Facebook page and our Twitter page. Our Twitter page is at NRC on air, and Facebook is either Nostalgic Radio and Cars or Gulfstream Motorsports. But one of the cars that I videotaped was a um, Ford GT40. And I believe it was a 68 or 69 car. And I'm not sure if it's one of the Le Mans winning cars or not that Jackie X drove. But it, but it looked very much similar, very similar to it. But uh, check out the video. It's really cool. And, uh, and the other video I shot was a couple cars going down the straightaway. I shot some night video, posted those as well. And then, of course, an in-car camera video while I was riding in the pace car with Jan Hawk, who's a former race car driver. And he's a tech inspector there for uh, HSR. So he's a super nice guy. And and that was a lot of fun. So there were some amazing cars there, a lot of Ford GT40s, a bunch of Lolas. And if you recall, a couple weeks ago, we had John Starkey on. And he's uh, written a number of books about uh, Lolas, T70s. Actually, all the Lolas, but one of my favorites is the T70s. So the T70s were there and the GT40s, and that was kind of like an old, uh, you know, that's like a Ford Chevy thing, you know. 
And uh, so they were battling it out on the track. And there were some Camaros. And let's see what else was there. Kurt Voigt, my friend from Cobra Automotive, he was there with the Shelby's tearing up the track. And they had the usual array of Porsches. Uh, let's see what else we have. We had some McLaren Chevrons. There was one old guy there. He's 86 years old. 86 years old. And he's still out tracking his car. He runs vintage SCCA or an HSR. And he's got a 1968 Chevron V8. And uh, that's kind of a wicked little car. It's a closed car. And um, really neat piece. With a little BMW engine in it, two-liter engine, putting out about 180 horsepower. And um, I'll tell you what, you look at that car and you go, man, you, people actually strapped themselves into this thing. Now, think about it. It's got aluminum monocoque chassis. It's a tub. Okay, you sit inside this thing. Some of them, and they're generally right-hand drive. I don't know why race cars in the United States are right-hand drive, but they are. And a lot of them. I would have that switched around. That would just drive me up a wall. And, um, and But there's no protection. There's just a hoop in there. There's no roll cage. So it's really uh, not safe. And these cars run probably 160, 170 miles an hour down the back straight. So they're not slow cars. Keep in mind, it might weigh a big whopping 1,500 pounds or 1,250 pounds or whatever it weighs with 180 horsepower. So you do the math on the power-to-weight ratio. Those things fly. Amazing cars, amazingly handling cars. But this guy's 86 years old. My hat's off to him because he's still out there racing. Racers have a positive attitude. We don't cry. You know, if you cut yourself, you get to duct tape out, you duct tape yourself back together, and you go back to racing and go back to working on your car. That's just the way it is. Right, Tommy? Tommy goes, yes, he's fists up. Anyway, uh, a couple weeks ago, we were at, oh, yeah, then the next day, um, I hurried back, got home that night. I was going to go to the races because there was a racing going on down at Bradenton, but it was too late because I was there for some of the night racing at uh, the 12 Hours um, Classic at um, Sebring. And uh, so the next day, I got up real early, and I hurried up to, uh, let's see, where was it? Sumter County. It was the swap meets up there. First Sunday of every month, the swap meets up there at Sumter County. Shout out to uh, Craig and Joanne. They've been doing that for years. It's a great show. Lots and lots and lots of stuff. And every time I go there, I don't always go looking for something. I just say, well, you know, in the back of my mind, I need a few little things, useful things, okay, unless there's a really, really cool deal there. And I usually buy them. So, like, you know, generally I need some tools or something like that. So uh, I buy something useful. And you know what? There's anything and everything there. Actually, I ran across a carburetor there. It was a C9A, a C9, let's see, what the, what was the date on it? It was a C9 OF9510-R, and that happens to be a service replacement carburetor or for a 59351 Windsor. But unfortunately, it wasn't all complete. It was boogered up, but he wanted only 100 bucks for it, which really wasn't a bad deal, but it's not like I need another one, and oh, well, I passed on it. But I got the guy's name and number. But that's an example of some of the rare stuff that was there. Other than that, let's see what else I found. I found a seat for a Honda 750, which I need that because I'm restoring or fixing a couple of Honda 750 automatics. They need to get sold, so I needed a seat for one of them, so I picked that up cheap, you know, like cheap, cheap, and, uh, you know, like under 20 bucks type cheap, you know, which is a good deal. It's not perfect, but it's driver quality, and it's, you know, it's not fixed up, so it's period because I'm not restoring the stuff, and we'll get into that. That's another little deal we'll talk about, you know, as far as restoring cars and stuff. But a few weeks back, I went to, uh, I was at Renegers, and, uh, and they have the extravaganza. They do it in the fall. I think in November, then they do it, I think, in January and February. And while I was there, I was kind of nosing around looking for some stuff, and I bumped into a lot of car guys, as usual. But I ran into this one guy in particular. Now, here's an area that we haven't covered before. We've never talked about marine salvage. And you know me, we try to cover a lot of different things. Yes, I have celebrities on here. Yes, I have uh, well-known uh, people on here, actors and stuff like that from time to time. But also, I want to cover some of the, the other stuff that, uh, you know, the real, the, the real, the reality stuff that a lot of us get into besides the cars and 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 all the, and the TV show stuff, but there's you know a lot a lot of stuff too, fixing cars and working on cars and types of cars and classic cars and contemporary cars and all that kind of stuff. But there's other things that goes on uh, in the real world that we don't always pay attention to. But since I come from the wrecking yard business, I always have an interest in salvage and scrap. So this one guy was there and he had a bunch of lights and and portholes and fixtures that were all off like ships, and sh let's just call it ships hardware. And I thought that was kind of interesting. So I forgot the gentleman's name, but I made a kind of a tentative deal with him to invite him to come on the radio show because we talked about marine salvage. And I asked him where he got all this stuff. And I said, is this stuff reproduction or is this the real deal? And he says, no, no, this is a genuine sub. So apparently what he does, he goes over to these, um, I'm going to say third world countries that have salvage, that have giant shipyards, salvage operations. And what he does, he goes in and he buys uh, the salvage off it. So, and what's really popular on ships is all the hardware, like anything that's brass, anything that's bronze, you know, propellers, um, door stuff, handles, lights, fixtures like that. And we made a deal and I got a light fixture from him, a real live, genuine brass, um, outdoor light, like you would see walking down the hallway or the galleyway on a ship. And I thought that was kind of cool. So, um, 
And I thought that he would be an interesting guest to have come on the show because I can kind of talk to talk, walk to walk a little bit about salvage. I don't know that much about marine salvage, but he would be able to expound on it and talk about the process and how it's done and what all's involved and how long it takes to cut up a ship and how long these ships are. I mean, some of these ships are like 900 feet long and they got to cut them up and it takes a while. I mean, they, they basically beach them and do it right there. Now, we can't do that here in our country because we're regulated. So we have professional shipyards, and we got unions, we got this, and we got that. But down there in some of these third world countries, you know, anything goes. They just roll up there with a set of torches, and they start cutting that thing apart and uh, start scrapping it. So, you know, and since they're right around the corner from where a lot of the scrapping process takes place, which is in the far east over there, which would be Taiwan and Korea and places like that, southern Korea, guys, and, uh, and um, areas of China, Obviously, and then South America has um, smelting um, and refineries. When I say refineries, you know, uh, scrap processing refineries, and so that's where a lot of the metal gets recycled. And it's funny because I remember back in the old days when I was working at my mom and dad's motel, we used to get these plumbing fixtures, and the guys, you know, they would tell me that the fixtures would actually be um, sent overseas, processed over there, sent back over here, cast over here, sent back over there to be chromed and polished, and then sent back over here to be boxed, wrapped, bagged, and sold and retailed. So it's kind of amazing, but if the, if the economics works out like that, oh, well, now everything's made over there. So I guess that's one of the reasons why the scrap operations are kind of like you know, right around the corner from each other over there. But India is where a lot of this stuff goes on, and um, so who knows? But we'll have this gentleman on, and we'll be talking. Now, I think we got a guest that we're going to bring on. We're going to talk a little bit about um, fast cars in a little bit. So I want you guys to stay tuned in here. You are tuned in to, yes, ladies and gentlemen, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Be sure and tell your friends to tune in every Tuesday night here on the Tantalk Radio Network, right downtown in Clearwater. Don't forget tune-ins and all that good stuff. So I think you got something queued up on the, uh, this time we have something on the transistor. Hey, a little Almond Brothers, one way out. Hey, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Way mark, they're neck and neck. And coming into the traps is Rod Singer way out in front. 
Bad luck for Jake Shandlin, who dropped the clutch in the Hollis Brothers' beautiful competition coupe. On the starting line, the Green Monster, 1945 Allison-powered dragster with much, much go. And there's the flag. It's Bill Smith getting on the big green sign. He approaches the quarter mark of the strip, going wild up to the halfway. He's on it, and into the three-quarter. He's really coming on and into the traps with a top time, a top conduct time of 170.45 miles per hour. 170.45 miles per hour with the top time of the meet. And then the awards. And the trophy for the best engineered car to Mr. and Mrs. Lindley's Misfire III from California. Wally Parks presents the Eliminators Trophy in the sports car class to Jack Horsley, Jr. of Miami, Florida, who won in his Lincoln-powered Devon. George Montgomery of Dayton, Ohio, receiving his trophy for winning as the Little Eliminator. And here comes the Singer-Miller car being pushed back to the winner's circle. And to the winner, the beautiful champion spark plug trophy, the DA Lubricant El Camino, and the Kiss. And so another Nationals draws to a close. Records have been set and broken. Ideas have been exchanged. Enthusiasts will return to garages and workshops to create new machines that will go a little faster and get from here to there in a little less time. For this is the story of ingenuity in action. Hi, this is Ed Eskandarian here, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Yes, I love nostalgia. Hey, by the way, before I forget, don't forget, on December 16th, the Largo Parade, downtown Largo. And yes, yours truly will be there running his rollback as usual, something really cool on the back. It'll be a mystery car, but you'll enjoy it. And we'll be there tossing candies to everybody. So uh, don't forget, Largo Parade, December 16th. Now, it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman's also a serious car guy. He's been around for a long time. Did some drag racing of his own. But he's most noted for his chassis. So I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, the founder of Art Morrison Enterprises, Art Morrison himself. Art, how you doing? I'm doing just wonderful, thank you. So <laughs> I was I was listening I was listening to your your the the lead in and and I just it just cracked up because God I, I know a lot of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> well see, that's that's how this show works. I always try to find out what my guests like. And then I generally segue with something that would be period for them, something that they can identify with. That way they feel very comfortable on the show. So so, t- so some of the people, let me guess, George Montgomery for sure, right? Well, yeah, I knew of George. Uh, actually, I'd never met George. Didn't, didn't meet him. But the one the one that I, I met became good friends with. And uh, and when we were major sponsors with the NHRA, Ed Iskadarian, uh, okay. Ed and I became really, really good friends. And, and we hauled his part around to different drag races for, oh, God, I bet it was 17 years uh, when we were major sponsors with the NHRA. Great guy. God, I just love the daylights out of him. And, and uh, anyway, he, good, good man. Anyway, it was, but it was, it was fun listen thing. The, the Art Arfons, the, 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 the old jet deals, uh, you know, all of that. And those, those are a lot of the guys that I did get to meet also. Interesting. Yeah. The campfather and uh, Art Arfons, Mr. Jet Dragster himself. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us a little background now. You're a car guy. How did you all get started in the in the racing thing? Because I think I was reading your bio there, and you were driving wheel standards back in the day too. I was. I was. It. It. Okay. I'll. I'll try to make this as quick as I can, if, if so it doesn't drag out. I, I don't want people to go to sleep. Uh, but in the in the middle sixties, uh, my dad let me get a, a Model A. God, when I was like fifteen. And it had an old engine in it, and, and he figured he'd let me get that thing. It was 150 bucks uh, for a 30 Model A, and uh, it didn't run. And so got the thing home, uh, and it was missing a lot of stuff. Well, my mom and dad went on vacation for a uh, time, and, and this was in, uh, God, would have been in 64. Uh, yeah, probably 63, 64. And I had saved up some money. I was working for my dad at the time and saved up about 75 bucks, went up to a local junkyard got a buick motor and a buddy and myself put the put the engine in this in this model a well when they were gone i got the model a running and uh, and it was just horrific it was just it was horrific i mean it, it, it was it was my first car and it was it was a monster but anyway that that started my absolute love for cars and anything that that had four wheels on it i just 
I was just infatuated with. Um, and so anyway, that one thing led to another. And by the time I was, before I even got out of high school, I was actually in my parents' garage making uh, headers, building headers and exhaust systems on uh, on guys' cars for just for extra money. And uh, and and so that's how it, it, it started and went from there. And uh, been a, a period of time in the military. I got drafted in 60, 66. Uh, spent my time overseas, came home, got out on my 21st birthday, and uh, and it was shortly after I got home uh, that I met a guy by the name of Chuck Poole. He had a twin-engine Dodge pickup, a little bit like the Little Red Wagon, only it was called the, the, the Chuck Wagon of all things. And anyway, uh, but a wheel stander guy, and he was on tour up here uh, in the Washington area. I uh, met him, and, and we hit it off, and and uh, he needed some work done on his car. Well, I had had, I had just bought a house, had a garage with a welder in it, and he came up and I started working on his, on his, on his rig anytime we was in this area. Well, one thing led to another, and then he said, uh, he said, how'd you like to drive a wheel stander? And that, and I, I, sure, I'll do that. And, uh, and so that's when I started driving for, for uh, Chuck, and it was actually, it was a, it was one of his spare rigs. It was a Volkswagen, uh, got a, like a 60s-era Volkswagen pickup. And I had just happened to have a big block Chevy, uh, 427 Chevy that I had had in a, 50, in a 54 Chevy. Pulled it out of that car, put it into the, into the Volkswagen, and that was what powered the wheel stander. Well, I did that for a, a year with, uh, with Chuck, and then we went, step, went separate ways, and I met Richard Schroeder. Who was also another wheel stand guy, and uh, and I started driving for him and driving. He had an actually an AMX, and uh, and that went until early early seventy one, and I just got married in February of seventy one, and uh, and it was just shortly after that I was driving his wheel stander, and it was just a horrific wreck. It was a it was a dandy and. Uh, the thing we've got to remember it, uh, it by was a guy got a great, great movie of the thing, and so we, we've always got something to look back and say, yeah, that's what happened. And uh, and so anyway, I, I just knew there had to be a better way to make a living somewhere, somehow, than driving wheel standards. And so anyway, so then from that, from that it led into, uh, uh, I real quick, this is another short story, but there was a local shipyard hiring, went down, took their... Uh, uh, welding test. After about a week, I knew I failed their welding test, and I said, uh, "I said, okay." So I called a guy back, and I said, "Say, I said, I, I know I took the test, and and I, I obviously failed it because you didn't call me back." And he and I said, "I'd like to know what I did wrong." And he said, well, "What's your name?" And I said, "Morrison." And I could hear paper shuffle in the background. Rough guy, and you know, and a shipyard guy, and and he came back and he said, "Oh, oh, God, Morrison." He said. The weld was so bad. He saved it. We saved it just to show people what a really crappy weld <laughs> looked like. And I was just, God, I was just crestfallen. And I came home and I and I read, got my wife, uh, Jeanette, and I, I told her, I said, God, I said, I can't even get hired at a shipyard. So I said, it's obvious that I got to work for myself. And uh, and so anyway, so that that's what led to the deal. And I and so I started just doing work in the garage at the house. Uh, anything, anything, everything from painting cars to uh, valve jobs to you name it, I did it. And uh, and so it was about oh god, within a uh, six, seven months, eight months later, there was a local guy who came up with a, an A modified production Corvette, and he said uh, knew that I I did this. Uh, I'd gotten out that that there was this guy in, in this little town that could weld stuff up. So he asked if I could put a rear suspension underneath this Corvette, put an actually a four link underneath the thing, and I said, uh, I said, yeah, I can do that, and, and I did. Well, he promptly went out and got a record in a modified production, and and if anybody can lay claim to the fame that they they put me on the map, it'd be this guy. His name was Tom Turner, and had this 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 Corvette, and and that was the one that that actually set the real path for what what I did all the years that we were involved in drag racing uh, because all of a sudden that just started, started leading a lot of folks my way. Well, then all of a sudden I would quit doing the valve jobs. I would quit doing the tune-ups. I would quit 
painting cars. I would I would get rid of anything that I didn't like to do. It just kept all the stuff that I liked to do, and uh, which was welding and, and building cars. So it was, and then I got into a little bitty shop, and and it, it obviously went from there. Interesting. Are you familiar with uh, Richard Earl down here in Florida? Um, oh, Suncoast absolutely. Chassis? Oh, yeah, I know Richard really well. Okay. Are you going to be at PRR next week or this weekend? Because he's going up there. Richard's a friend I of mine. Am, yeah, I am not. Okay. <laughs> we, do, we do SEMA. We do SEMA, but I don't go, uh, don't do the PRI show because we do so little with uh, with drag racing now. It, uh, you know, as, as the time went on and time went on, uh, we we became, it went on a lot of different ways. It, well, it, and again, following this, this story, I was at a little bitty shop, about 900 square feet, and was able to open it up into about 1,800 feet. And, uh, and it was just living kind of hand-to-mouth sort of a deal. And then uh, about, I'd been able to put some money away in uh, 70, 77, about 77, Bought a little one-acre piece of property down, actually, where we're located now, down in the in the Port of Tacoma area, which is just south of Seattle by about twenty miles. And um, anyway, and bought this piece of property and and put a building up. And I and I was able to I put a eight thousand foot building up, and and all of a sudden the joint had turned into a real business. And and so at that time I got the bright idea to do a few different things and go into some industrial type fabrication, and that didn't pan out every time i got a job i i knew i'd screwed up because i'd bid it too low and and uh and so it i got got all the way back to where nope this is we're going to go back to what we know which was was uh building cars and doing that sort of thing and i think it was in 83 that we actually we put our first catalog together and uh you know and and it was a, a combination of drag race uh, I mean, it was dragsters, and but it just included nothing but drag race components and that sort of thing. And uh, and I would think it was in '85 that I became a major sponsor with the NHRA. Well, then we we uh, the first year I did it just by myself with a rent a car and uh, going around to all the national events pitching our wares. And then it after shortly after that uh, we got a uh, we got a trailer and then worked our way up to a. It was just a little, a small fifth wheel we pulled with a one-ton truck. Well, then all of a sudden it got up to be where it was a semi, 48-foot trailer, and an 85-foot awning. And uh, and we started carrying, that's when I met Ed, was in, would have been uh, probably in 86, yeah, 86, 87, uh, when we started carrying ISKI on our trailer, and they were paying us to, to carry their, their product around. And we had... We had probably some of the greatest names in in drag racing that we used to carry around their parts on our trailer. Uh, it was it was Beast. It was World Products. It was um, uh, Lenati cams. It was uh, Crane cams. Uh, there was a, just a staggering amount of these these great guys. Uh, Simpson, uh, uh, all these different guys, and they had come to us. They'd buy space on our trailer, and then we'd carry their components and go around the country. And we were up to, oh gosh, where we were doing, uh, got it. By the time we finally pulled the plug on the whole deal, and the, this would have been now all the way up into the late 90s, we were doing 31 events a year that we would go to. Uh, so it was it was quite an ordeal. How much inventory did you guys have to carry on you, or did, did was it basically like kind of like you had samples and then you do a lot of mail order? Correct. We would do we would do that, but we would carry we would we would constantly were sending resupply to the to the uh, trailer. Okay. So if we were in in California one weekend and we we wound up selling uh, whatever in California, and then we would go to go to Phoenix the next weekend or in two weeks, all of a sudden we'd send a we would send a shipment to uh, to Phoenix, and it became just a logistics nightmare to supply this thing with product around the country. Our our driver would typically leave us uh, in in January, mid to late January, start out at the Winter Nationals, and then it would wind up all the way to Daytona Beach on Thanksgiving for the Turkey Day Rod. Oh, really? And yeah, oh yeah, we I mean we we covered the country. Oh wow! Well, the Turkey Rod one was just last weekend or a couple weeks ago. Correct. Yeah, Correct. yeah, and we see we we took the trailer off the road in. Um, 
oh gosh, that had to be in uh, 98, 98, 99, probably. It may have, yeah, I think around 99 is when we pulled the trailer off the road because it, what had happened, we, we looked and, and we had started in 1990 and we, now we're going, going back again and working forward. We had seen the, the NHRA and the drag racing business hit a real plateau and it just, it just didn't want to grow. And I said, well, God, the, the only way I could picture this business growing is, is to get into another market. And, and, uh, and I thought, well, God, the street rod market, that, that ought to be easy to do. And, and uh, God couldn't have been farther from the truth. It was just an absolute nightmare. The first that we had go to the good guys, and there's a local one here, and and so we went to the good guy show, and and it was just it was just terrible because the I I mean we almost had to pay people to take our catalogs, <laughs> and uh, they said, oh, you guys are drag race guys, you don't know how to build a street car, you know, and so that's the way it started, and, and we did that for several years, and. It was in the mid-80s that we got the ability. Uh, I, I purchased a, the bending equipment so we could form 2 by 3 120 wall material uh, for rear clips, for frames, for whatever, for drag race cars. And the reality is it needed to be something heavier than that for a street car. So it was about the mid-90s that we got the ability to bend uh, 2 by 4 rectangular tubing. And, uh, and as soon as we did that, all of a sudden that really did hit a different market and it was in the late it was in the late 90s that uh i had met uh let's see we got a call it was got a call from boyd coddington he had heard about us and he wanted he wanted one of our frames and then okay god great so we did and uh and that relationship actually was was wonderful It, it worked all the way up until boyd died if Everything that that he did that wasn't a thirty-two Ford, we actually we built uh, every frame that for every car he did from about ninety-eight, ninety-nine on, we we built well. And then and then Boyd was taken enough with our product that he started introducing me to other people and and to the Bobby Alloways and some of these other just phenomenal builders around the country. And uh, and so we started getting with them, and it was about 2002. Son Craig Morrison uh, was uh, he had finished college, got a degree in marketing, came to work, and uh, and he was just after me. And he'd actually been involved in the business since he was probably about 13, uh, doing every job all the way along. And, and but about 2000 and uh, uh, let's see, it was 2002. He finally started full time, and uh, and with us, and and uh, and he said, "Well, we've got to build a bolt on chassis." And I said, and "I was just dying." And I said, "Oh God!" And I just, for some reason, I just didn't want to do it, and was just fighting at me. And he kept poking me in the side, just like with a sharp fork. And until I finally agreed that, okay, okay, we'll do this. And he said, uh, "I said, what do you want to do?" And he said, "Well." You know, he said the 55 to 57 Chevy, he said, it's such an iconic car. There was over 4 million of them built. He said, let's do a frame for a, for a 55 Chevy. And I just happened to have a stock 55 at the time. And uh, and so he, I said, you put together a business plan. And I said, we'll see how this thing flows and we'll just see what it can do. So he put together a deal and said, okay, I want, I want the engineering done by this time. I want... Uh, I want the frame to go to the shop and, and be built at this time. This is the first show we're going to go to. And ta da 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 da. He just laid it completely out. The, the full program gave me about six months to do it, and uh, and we did. And it was in the spring of '03 was the first bolt-on bolt-on replacement type chassis that we had ever built for the street. And uh, and I'll tell you what that was the that was. The, the end of that we since then just of that one frame we've sold uh got it it's beaten on the door of 1475 frames we've done just for 55 to 57 chevs and that that is and i mean and we've got got a gazillion others we do uh but that that set the tone for the business from from that point forward uh to what it is today and uh, it's a pretty remarkable deal that way. Interesting, very neat. Did you um, now the the chassis that you built? So you built primarily the frame. What about the rest of the suspension, control arms, 
and uh, spindles and uh, rear control arms. I mean, you know, you talked about a four-link setup earlier and stuff like that. Do you build all that stuff in-house, or do you su- or we, do you pull parts from somebody else from another source? No, no, no. We build we build probably ninety uh, percent of what goes onto our frames. We build in-house. We okay. uh, we have a machine shop. Yeah, we have a machine shop. We've got uh, two twin spindle CNC lays, three uh, three CNC milling machines. We've got. Got, I think, four or five uh, engine lays besides uh, a gang of Bridgeport milling machines and so on. Uh, we have two uh, two of these mandrel benders for forming the, the rectangular tubing and so on, and uh, and then and along with the with the round tubing for the control arms and 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 so on. We don't do coilovers. We don't do brakes. We don't do spindles. Spindles we buy. Uh, actually, the spindles that we use. Uh, we were, uh, have dealt, God, I've dealt with Willwood, uh, the company that man- manufactures right. the brakes. Mm-hmm. I've dealt with Willwood since they were a company, since Bill Wood started the company. That's how long I've been dealing with those guys. But when it came time for them to do a spindle, we were actually looking at our own spindle at the time. And, uh, and we've got, got some just wonderful, bright young engineers and, and <clears throat> they, they, they actually set the design that that we have. That is the wind uh, uh, Willwood Pro Spindle today. Um, we actually were involved really, really tight with the Willwood guys on the design of that spindle um, because we just we knew there were things we wanted it to do that a stock Mustang two style or a Mustang spindle just would not do. And um, and so we we control. And now I'll bring you all the way up to date now. What we do is the uh, got it. It's the the modeling processes that we do. We do in house three D modeling now. So when the guys are making small components, they'll get it all drawn and make a solid model on the computer. And what they'll do is they'll they'll just plug it into the three D printer at night. Come in the next morning, and they've got they've got the the new small part or whatever it may be. And I mean, it could be as big as a big as a spindle. It could be as big as a third member. Um, it wow. could be just about anything that will fit in that 3D printer uh, window, uh, we can go ahead and make, and it's, it's pretty neat that way. Same with when we do a uh, when we do a new frame for just about anything. Uh, we're working on one one right now for a C2 Corvette, and uh, and we have a, a 3D laser scanner, and the guys will go over and they put all these little white buttons all over the all over the body, and they're little stick-on deals, especially with a Corvette because they're a glass body. And they'll do a 3D a 3D model of the entire body, top, bottom, sideways, everything. And then once they get this wireframe done, they'll take it, they'll take it back, put it on the main computer, and then they'll start to redefine the thing. And 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 I mean it'll get down to where they can have a definition that's within about twenty thousandths of an inch over the length of the car. And so and we'll do the same thing with the frame. Well, then all of a sudden, if we have the stock body and we, we have this 3D laser model of the bottom of a car, all of a sudden now on the computer, they can fit a frame up and take take all of our bending capabilities and fit it within the shadow of that stock body. And, uh, and same with our suspension, front suspension, rear suspension, whether it's our a solid axle, a 9-inch solid axle rear end, or uh, the independent rear suspension we make. We can we can model all of that and do everything 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 on the computer before we ever bend a piece of metal and and we just know we just know how everything fits and where everything goes at that point. That's excellent. Now, how many people do you have? I mean, we got a few minutes left here. We got about four minutes left. So, just rough idea. How many? How are you staffed? We've got right now. We're just we're right at thirty thirty nine. I think something like that. And and real quick, as long as as long as I've got that. The, the thing that, that I'm, I'm most proud of about our, our company, we have, uh, we've got about 12 or 13 people that have from 20 up to 38 years there. Uh, we have another, we've got another 12 that have got from 10 up to 20 years. So we've got a, a brain trust at the joint that is just phenomenal. I've been in business for 46 years, but the, the, that when I finally figured out that, that the way you make a business work is to attract really good people, treat really good people really well, it, it will it will do things that you just can't imagine. 
Oh yeah, like uh, loyalty for one. And it, it, it's not. It's not. It's, <laughs> wow. All right. So, how big of the facility are you? Do you have right now? How big is your facility? We've we've got uh, got right at 40, 40 41 thousand feet. Oh. Um, and that's uh, almost an acre under roof. Just about an acre under roof. Uh, and it's in it's in a total of five different buildings. Um, We've got the original, the original eight thousand foot building that I added on another, another ten thousand foot building in eighty nine, and then we just acquired uh, three more buildings and an additional, uh, an additional twenty five thousand, twenty five twenty seven thousand feet, just right. I mean, right there, they're all within this. So it's like a big uh, uh, compound. Oh, God, just a yeah, yeah, like a uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Anyway. It, so it, it works out really, really well. So you mentioned Bobby Alloway, and, and uh, I think you're t- getting ready to talk about Alan Johnson and stuff like that. Now, when you build chassis for those guys, and we've got about a minute or so left, do you build custom yeah. chassis for them, or do they buy production models, chassis from you? Yes, on both. The, okay. Uh, now, Alan Johnson, Bobby Alloway. Bobby will just about everything we do for him is, is custom because – he has his look, and we we satisfy that look. Uh, Troy uh, Trepanier, uh Troy will buy some of the frames. He'll buy will be a, an off the shelf deal, and a lot of them will be custom. Uh, you know, Chip Foose, When Chip gets one of our products, it almost always is a, it's something that's custom. It's something that's different. Uh, but it, it they're just got their these guys. They're the ones that make us look like heroes. They're they just got they're just they. Just do such spectacular work. Okay, all right. We are up against the clock. I definitely have to have you back on again so we can pick up this like a part two. So real okay. quick, if people want to find out more about Art Morrison Enterprises, how do they do that? It is artmorrison.com. Excellent. Well, Art, I want to thank Unbelievably you. Unbelievably simple. Unbelievably <laughs> simple. That's right. Boy, you make some of the best chassis, and it was certainly a pleasure meeting you at SEMA this year, and I look forward to having you back on the show again. And uh, Merry Christmas to you, by the way, and Happy New Year, because that's coming Merry up just Christmas around the corner. So, again, thank you very Merry much. Christmas for. To you. I want to thank my special guest this evening, Art Morrison, Art Morrison Enterprises. In the meantime, I want to tell all my listeners, don't forget, some of the car shows that come up, check out our website. we got a lot of stuff on there. And don't forget to tune in every Tuesday between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network. In the meantime, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family.